there, Pudding People. At the end of this episode, we have a special treat. There is a sneak peek of the new Orphan Black on Cereal Box. Check it out. Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour. This week, I have a fantastic guest with me. She is a a writer of science fiction and fantasy. She is a person that likes to help people around the world. She will be working on the new Orphan Black series that will be starting on Serial Box coming here just this Thursday. Uh, we have Malka Older. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I uh, I have to say it's it's really it's really wonderful to be able to talk to somebody for a little while that has such a direct hand in creating some of the fantastic fiction that we get a chance to consume, whether it be through uh, an audiovisual format or an audio-only format. I have a, a kind of a particular fondness for the audio storytelling. Um, now, you were uh, a fan of Orphan Black previously before you started on this project, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I love the show. Um you know, I watched the whole thing just desperate week to week to get the next one. Uh, just really loved the writing. The acting obviously is incredible. Uh, the the themes that, that the show goes into, I just think it's a really amazing piece of work. What about it would you say probably drew you the most? Um, I think, you know, it's, I think basically it's fantastic storytelling. Uh, it really, you know, especially, I think they, they were particularly good at keeping up consistent quality throughout the seasons, although, of course, there were some ups and downs. But, you know, if you look at the first season with its sort of basic intro to the story they were trying to tell, they just, they have all the elements there. You know, it's it's got a mystery of what's going on. It's got deeper implications to that. It's scary. It's funny. It's brave. So, yeah, I just, I loved it. Now, this was a, a BBC program, if I remember correctly, recorded in um, Canada, was it? Yeah, BBC America, uh, recorded in Canada, largely a Canadian cast, maybe all a Canadian cast. How did how did this come into a transition? Now, it's been in multiple mediums uh, before. It's been in the television show. Mm -hmm. It had uh, a comic book. How did it make this transition from television show to a sequel in audio format? Well, you know, Serial Box has been looking at lots of different licensed product uh, rights and ways to continue stories that we're all very attached to. And I think particularly stories that have some, some you know, understandable sort of resource difficulty in being continued on, on video. I mean, Orphan Black is a really resource intensive thing to shoot, not just money, but also in terms of you know, the performer's time. It's just, it's an incredible effort. Um, and I think also, you know, they've, they've done a number of deals with Marvel properties, which have a lot of special effects and, and other things that are involved that, that make them resource intensive to, to do visually. And so it's, you know, it's a nice way to be able to continue some of these stories and continue the characters that we love um, in a slightly different way that, that, you know, gives us the slightly different approach to it and also makes them much more feasible to continue. So you have a history in, in, in literature and the love of the written word. You originally 
were somebody that start, started uh, studying at Harvard. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. So what what drew you at an early age? I mean, m- most of us, and I don't know, at least me, when I was younger, you couldn't have drug out what I was going to study when I was in college. Did you kind of know early on, or was this something that just, it was an epiphany that came to you? It's like, well, I need, I need to study this when I, when I get to the point where I can choose. I was al- always pretty obsessed with books and literature. Um, for me, it's just always been really a way of getting into another person's life or another person's head um, and just, you know, experiencing something very different. And so I've, I've always loved reading, uh, loved books, loved having opinions about books uh, and discussing them with people. And so, it, yeah, when I, I got to school, I was... Um, you know, basically, I was choosing between English and literature, which were two different concentrations there. And the real thing in favor of literature was that it allowed more study of foreign languages, and and it was an easier path to studying abroad, which I really wanted to do. And you managed to do so. You studied all over the place, right? Studied and worked, yeah. Uh, I mean, when I was in college, I studied abroad in Spain. Um, right after college, I moved to Japan to teach English uh, for a couple of years. And then I went to China. Uh, then I studied in Italy as part of my master's program. Um, and then I started, my master's was in um, international relations and economic development, looking to work internationally <clears throat> in humanitarian and development work. And so from there, I started doing that. So I worked in Sri Lanka, in Uganda, in Darfur, in Indonesia, back to Japan. Um, I had a job uh, based in D.C. that took me all over the place, (laughs) really pretty constantly. Um, I think I counted it, and I think I went on something like 14 international trips in 11 months. Um, And then I went back to school to do my doctorate in Paris. What was one of your favorite takeaways? I mean, this is this is such an opportunity that a lot of people either don't get the opportunity for or maybe haven't challenged themselves to do to be able to take uh, that trip to be able to meet so many people from so many different cultures and different backgrounds. What was what was something that just really struck you as you made your travels? Um, and it was it was an incredible privilege and, and blessing to be able to do that. And although I will say, just in case it's useful to anyone out there, you know, going to study a a PhD in Paris sounds very shishi, but it is way cheaper. Well, they were trying to change that. They they were trying to make a law to make it more expensive for um, non-French people to study the PhD. But there were a lot of protests about it, so I don't know if it's gone through. Really? Um, I had no idea. Yeah, it was was, um, something like $400 a year for my tuition. What? Yeah. That's so, and there, there are actually a lot of places that you can do that. I think, um, I believe that college in Germany is free, including to non-citizens. Um, there are quite a lot of places where college is cheaper than in the U.S. Uh, and you know, and my my jobs as well. You know, I worked in international development. I worked for international NGOs. They probably paid a lot less than I could have made it. You know, if I'd felt inclined to go into some kind of I don't know, banking or finance or high paying job here, but they, you know, I was living in pretty difficult places. So I wasn't paying rent. My organization was paying for wherever I lived. I had very few costs. 
Um, you know, they covered the transport back and forth and I got a decent salary, if not a great one. And so I ended up actually probably saving a lot more than I would have if I'd had some high priced job in New York, which was not the intention exactly. Um, but it was a nice benefit because it was certainly really helpful to have some savings um, when I came back to, well, to go back to school and also to, to start writing professionally. Well, that's almost like uh, working on an oil rig or... or <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. There's, I mean, some places more than others. I mean, Darfur was possibly a, a bit oil riggy uh, in some ways. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking more like, isol- not exactly isolated, but you had yeah. you had your needs taken care of. It's like by the time you're done, it's like, oh, I, I've got this money waiting for me. Fantastic. Exactly. Isolated. There's not that many choices of restaurant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't pay the electricity bills. It's, yeah, it was, it was, um, and, and, but, you know, the, the main reason I wanted to go was to get back to the point of your question. Um, you know, I really wanted to learn more about the world. I wanted to interact with different people and, and have that experiences. And I also wanted to have that different perspective on myself, my own culture, the place that I came from, because there's so many things that you sort of take for granted as just the baseline and normal until you're in some place drastically different. So I got a little bit of a sense for that when I studied abroad during college and I was just hooked. You know, I just wanted to keep going to different places and seeing how things were different there and how things were the same. Um, and when I, you know, I, I went into the humanitarian work to be able to at least attempt to help people doing that was a major bonus. And I, I ended up just getting more and more, <clears throat> caring more and more about that aspect of it as I learned. Although, you know, it's it's often very tricky to say that you've actually, in the in the net balance, helped people. You know, there's it's a very complicated business, and and you're affecting so much just by being there. And there's a lot of disillusion as well as a lot of things that are really satisfying and and worthwhile. So it's quite a mix. I bet if if nothing else, it probably gave a, a greatly enriching source for perspective in your writing for the characters that you're able to create. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, one thing I cared about a lot in, um, you know, when I my novel Infomocracy has uh, something like 17 different locations in it, and then the trilogy goes on to more as we go. Um, and I, I just really wanted to think about, you know, if I was thinking about a future, particularly a future that involves a, a new global governance system, I wanted to make sure I was thinking about it in a lot of different places, not just in the U.S. or Tokyo or London. Sure. So that it, it's kind of a almost a symbiotic uh, relationship between the the areas that you've you focused on between being able to help people around the world and the writing they, would you say that it, it kind of directly influenced uh, the if nothing else the the not the flavor is probably the wrong word but <laughs> mm-hmm. the 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 theme there we go the theme of of what you wrote in your series uh, uh, starting with infomocracy yeah absolutely i mean a a lot of what i wrote about there it's very uh, much about political systems about democracy um about borders and uh, and a lot of it just comes from my observations living in different places um and i you know i think the other thing that was really important in that is the feeling of being foreign um the feeling of being other 
in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways and seeing how that's played out. And, you know, that's, that's also a really important theme in the Orphan Black series. Um, you know, when there's, there are these characters who have sort of thought of themselves as fairly normal along a spectrum of normal and then discover that they're entirely something else and that they're making their way in the world, you know, from a very different perspective. Right. How did you become involved in the project? This seems like kind of such a, a fantastically jewel in, in the, not jewel in the rough, because it's, it's kind of polished already, but just, you know, something that not everybody might expect. And it's just like a wonderful surprise. How did you become part of this? Um, so Serial Box was, was trying to figure out who, who they could hire as writers on it. And it's always a little bit tricky when you're doing this. And I say this having, um, you know, having created a series for Serial Box and been asked who I wanted to, to hire for it. And, you know, there's certain things you want the writers to know, but it's, it's really tricky to, to find those people without telling them what you're asking them about. So I got this cryptic email from someone at Serial Box saying, how do you feel about the show Orphan Black? And I just kind of immediately responded, oh, I really love it. Why? And, you know, he came back with, well, we're thinking about putting something together and could you submit a, you know, a, a draft sort of story arc for that? And it just went for, from there. Now, you're also working with several people that were involved in the original project. Uh, I heard that uh, Tatiana was coming back to do vocals for the show. She is, which is just incredible. I mean, we are so happy about that. Um, I don't fangirl about actors and actresses a lot. I tend to focus much more on writers when I'm thinking about the kinds of media that I like and the content that I like. Um, but, she, you know, she, her role, first of all, the role itself is extraordinary, the multiple roles that she plays in the series. And she just does such an incredible job of embodying these different characters uh, all in one. And, you know, you really forget that you're watching <laughs> the same actress. Uh, so she's just an incredible actress um, and, you know, brought a lot, I think, to the project as well with her improv background and, and really had a lot of, of creative force in it. And so to have her doing the audio, I mean, first of all, I'm totally fangirling about it. And, <laughs> and secondly, you know, I think the audio was a really um, important part of the character's development as well um, with the different accents that she had and the different ways of talking and so it just it's really exciting to have that be um, a part of the words we've written. Yeah, that that seems like it'd be really cool. And just I've I've been lucky enough to speak to several actors over the years and uh, whether they're stage or screen, they, they kind of all have said at one point, it seems like at least the ones I've talked to, how much fun it is to be able to play multiple characters in the same production to be able to have that kind of ability to to stretch uh and and grow and do something different and put on a different face mm. what kind of a challenge is that now that you're in the in the writing side of this to be able to create something to be able to come across as um as different as as unique as these different personalities that that share some common genetic bond um i think you know in some ways i mean in some ways it's very similar to writing any set of characters where you're ventriloquizing you're drawing on the different parts of yourself or your experience with other people to create some set of characters that are all that all feel real um ideally 
But there is this added this added little twist working on Orphan Black, which is that, you know, when we watch the show, we see immediately the ways in which these women look the same and the ways in which they look different. Right. right. Um, and the show was extremely clever in its use of that, you know, what they did with hair, with makeup, um, the ways that they staged things. And, you know, for us, we had to be really clever about it in a different way. I mean, it gives us different advantages and disadvantages. On the one hand, the audience doesn't see that identical appearance immediately the way that you would in a visual medium. Um, but on the other hand, that means we can draw it out and approach it in different ways. Um, you know, and we can also get into the characters through things like interior monologue, which are very hard to do in television. Yeah, I, I think the last in, interior monologue that I, I really enjoyed was Mr. Rogers, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I can't wait to see the the new film on that. By the way, I, I, I hear it's really good. I'm kind of I'm kind of geeking about that one. But uh, so, but Tatiana wasn't the only individual from the original series that you're working with, right? There were some other individuals that were involved. So one of the writers, Helly Kennedy, was involved in the original series, and she also wrote the comic books. Um, there's a comic book series called Crazy Science, which takes place immediately after the, the original series finished. So it was really great to have not only her skills as a writer, but also that sort of institutional memory. Um, I mean, she was really the one who would who would be like, okay, you know, I know exactly how many Lita clones there are, and uh, this person appeared at this time, and you know, and she could even tell us, you know, okay, when, when we were thinking about when the, in the writer's room at the time, there was some debate about doing it this way, but we ended up doing it that way. Um, so that was really helpful. That sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. So it's kind of like a, a communal, uh, how I would imagine the, the old time newsrooms, everybody's uh, spitballing around the table, coming up with specific ideas. And then she's got the, 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 the gnosis, that wisdom from the original shows she can sprinkle in and, <laughs> Uh, maybe my yeah, maybe my exactly. imagination goes goes a little wild sometimes no it's true and, and one of the nice things about the cereal box model is that writer's room uh environment um normally we're, we're only together physically for a kind of a long weekend right at the beginning of the project um but it's always a lot of fun uh really you know it's 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 the thing where you're in a room with these people for like eight hours, nine hours in a day for three days or four days straight. And it feels, you know, especially going into it, like, oh, this is going to be very intense. And it is very intense. But it also usually ends up being a lot of fun and, and really invigorating and inspiring because we're all creators. And, you know, in this case, we all we all love the show. And so you end up just passing ideas back and forth and one-upping each other on sort of narrative, fun stuff to do with it. And talking about the characters, just geeking out about the characters. Um, so it was a lot of fun. And we continue to work collaboratively after that. We typically divide up the episodes. So, you know, I, for example, write an episode solo, but then we share them and do sort of a collective editing and commenting process. Um, and so that keeps, and through a couple of drafts, through an outline and a couple of drafts. And so that keeps us connected and keeps us working together throughout, which is, which is great. Did you have the opportunity to speak with some of the other individuals, maybe get some nuggets of wisdom, maybe some direction from uh, some of the other individuals that were uh, on the project before? We've had really great support from them um, in terms of getting the word out. We mainly dealt with the studio uh, 
which um, you know, which which holds the license for the, the the show and the characters, and they've been really helpful as well. I mean, they had some some general guidance to start with, and it was mainly stuff like uh, wanting to respect the original characters and wanting to respect the original story, which is something that we all wanted to do. So it was, you know, very much on the same page with that. So how I just have to imagine this maybe is just me. I. Was there something that just kind of blew your mind when you were when you were talking to them about the original something where you go, I never, I never thought about it that way. I didn't realize this was the motivation of one of the characters or that one of the organizations they had originally planned to go in this direction, but actually did something completely different. Something that just made you go, that's that's just too cool. Hmm. No, I can't think of any examples of that offhand, and also I'm not sure how much of that I'm supposed to repeat. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I knew no, I might not more get just, much. You know, it was more just sort of getting that sense of, um, you know, it was, it was nice to hear that it was something they had to work hard on because it's such an amazing show. You know, it's great to hear that, that there are people behind it. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was just it was good to have that link in. And Serial Box is going to release this uh, weekly, right? That's right. So there'll be one episode per week. Uh, once all the episodes are out, you can get the whole thing and and just binge it if you like. Uh, and the episodes are available in text or audio or both because with the Serial Box app, you can switch back and forth seamlessly. So you can be listening as you drive and then switch to reading once you get home. What do you think about the difference in the way to consume a story between binging the entire thing at once or being able to listen to it once a week and build suspense? I mean, there are really benefits to both. And, you know, I watch the show, as I said, mostly kind of week to week, um, with possibly a few exceptions when I was away or something and came back and had a couple that I could binge. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's nice to have the flexibility that you're offered if you, you know, you aren't able to binge a whole season at once, but, you know, maybe one night you can do two or three and then you have to wait for a while before you can continue. Um, but it's also kind of nice to have that anticipation of waiting from week to week, as long as you don't forget what happened. Yeah, that's 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 the bad thing for me. I, I I whenever the weekly would happen, there were so many shows that I would love to watch weekly because that kind of that that feeling is like I got to see the next episode. But mm -hmm, by the time mm -hmm. it came up, it's like um, okay, let's watch the previous episode again just because I'm 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 sure I'm going to miss something. And uh, I don't think I I lost out on that. That's uh, that's just an extra yeah. fun part. But it it is funny. I mean, to think that we always used to watch things that way. Right. And now we almost never do. I mean, you might have gaps, but it's it's not that kind of regular week to week thing. So you know, I mean, Serial Box is kind of a mix. It's got that little throwback feel, um, yeah. in a way, of watching sort of a, a network show or a cable show in the old days. And then you know, if you wait ten or twelve weeks, you can binge the whole thing when you feel like it. Uh, go back to uh, throw back to the original uh, War of the Worlds uh, <laughs> over the audio, <laughs> that kind of thing. What has probably been 
one of the biggest challenges in in moving it from that visual medium to the audio only what what is something that you're just kind of really proud that that you were be able to kind of an obstacle you might have sidestepped or something that you've been able to develop that maybe you couldn't have developed in any other way well i think definitely you know dealing with the 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 clone like changing that perspective on how we dealt with the clone issue mm. was something that that was really interesting to work through um and another thing i think was you know we we it, this this next chapter of orphan black takes place eight years after the original series ends um which is something i was really happy about because i love the ending to the series i felt they did a really nice um closure on it and you know you don't want to come in and stomp all over that <laughs> you don't want to like they have this lovely closure and then you're like and then the next day you know something explodes over here um but you also want to go back to that world you know you don't i i at least wanted to work with those characters i didn't want this to be just a whole separate thing in the style of uh so that that amount of time worked really well for us i think in terms of being able to revisit these characters you know, giving them a little space and then coming back and seeing what was going on with their lives and and having them be still essentially the same people uh, from in most of the cases. Um, but but, you know, having that having giving them that space to 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 move on with their lives um, a little bit first. And and I say in most cases, because, you know, I think the older clones, their personalities, they, they have evolved some and we try to, to look at the growth that's gone on. But you know, their personalities are fairly set. But what was also really interesting for us was to look at some of the younger clones and, and um, Kira, who's not a clone, but who is obviously very important to the series, and Charlotte. And, you know, they're in the original series, they're really, they're kids. And they have some personality. But, you know, to think about what they are like as teenagers after that kind of upbringing was another really, really fun and interesting part of developing this. Were you, I'm trying to ask this in such a way so that I don't try and ask you to reveal anything that <laughs> should not be revealed. You can ask, I just won't. <laughs> were you, as part of what you wrote, um, were you able to develop the overall world in such a way that you could, you know, introduce new threats? I mean, you know, the Borg are here, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, were you able to have the flexibility to kind of branch off and just use the original show as a, a launch point and kind of keep just mushrooming into new and different uh, stuff. I mean, we did want to do that. You know, we, we didn't want it to be just a, a sort of carbon copy of the original with the names changed. Right. Um, so, uh, I mean, we didn't we didn't go quite as far as the Borg, although we had <laughs> thought about zombies a couple of times. Um, but not yet. Maybe season two, if this if this one goes well. Um, but we, you know, the in the original series, a lot of the 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 evil forces are corporations. Which, if you've read my other fiction, I have no problem with making corporations evil. Um, but we did want to do something a little bit different, and particularly with the world that we're living in now, um, you know, where we're seeing just increased surveillance and increased use of things like biometric security, we wanted to think about how that would affect people who are genetically identical and trying to hide that. So we looked a lot about at 
um, sort of that that interaction with governments, and you know tried to go a little a little bit of a different route to to pull on some of those same thematic threads and some of the same um, kind of threats that might be that might be going on to people like this, but but from a different angle. Were you able to also address some of the more philosophical elements to it? One of the things that I enjoyed from the the original is is that it it did in some ways deal with some fairly interesting concepts of uh, what it means to be an individual, what it means to have uh, you know kind of your your own destiny, your own free will choice. How close are we to the people around us? Were you able to kind of branch out with that? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, we tried to really, we tried to really build on on all of these themes because I think for all of us, that was part of the reason we loved the show. Um, and so, you know, part of it is, as I said, you know, we have the the, the younger characters from the original show coming into their own, and they're, so they're asking a lot of these questions now in ways that they weren't able to in the original show. We have some of the, the original clones who are, you know, have grown in their relationships and changed a little um, and are maybe asking again. And then we also have a bunch of new characters, including new clones who have grown up in very different circumstances mm-hmm. than the ones that we saw <laughs> and the ones that we saw. Um, and just thinking about how that, how that affects their sense of identity. Okay, we're going to take a quick detour, and we part of one of the things that we do on the podcast, we have a handful of uh, questions that don't seem like they have anything to do with anything, and that's mostly because they don't have anything to do with anything. <laughs> but we ask everybody the same question just to get a small little taste, a feel of, of personality and wh- where we are the same and we're different. Now, you're, you're in Boston, correct? Uh, I'm in D.C. now. I grew up in Boston. You're, that's right, that's right. So one of the questions that we love to ask is we are huge fans of pizza because it is, it, it is the food that is all foods. And a lot of times we ask, you know, are you a Chicago pizza person? Are you Nor- New York pizza person? I can't talk now. A New York <laughs> pizza person. I, I think I got a new tongue twister. What kind of a, a pizza person are you? So if, if I were, you know, if I, if I had fully assimilated as a DC person, then I would be the, the giant slice. But I'm still from Boston. So, you know, the, the Boston pizza, which is much more similar to New York pizza than Chicago, certainly. But, you know, Regina's in the, in the North End is kind of the classic example. Ah, excellent. And did you get pudding with your pizza? Probably not. I'm guessing those two don't really go together. <laughs> no, no, not usually. <laughs> if you were a pudding person, what kind of pudding person would you be? Uh, I'd, have to go with, I'd have to go with chocolate. Ah, always a good choice. <laughs> uh, can't go wrong. I, I think you put any pudding in front of me. I'm generally pretty good, even bread pudding, something something sweet and drizzled. Um, uh, bread pudding is pretty great. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the other thing that we kind of focus on, we're huge nerds, or at least I am. I, I guess I'm the huger nerd of the two of us. But we often focus on comic-related topics or sci-fi fantasy sort of things, a lot of times, especially when it goes comics into movies. Were you a comic book fan as a kid or as a current adult? Is there a specific character you love? Um, I mean, I, I loved comics as, as a kid. I, I'm not sure I got to the level of fan 
I would always, yeah, I mean, I would love to get them when I could, but they weren't, I, I read books mostly. Um, I didn't have anything against comics. I think I just didn't, they weren't quite as accessible. Mm. Uh, you know, we went to bookstores all the time and comic stores every once in a while sort of thing. Um, so I, I always enjoyed them. I didn't have like a particular uh, huge grab with them. Um, and now I, I read them even less, unfortunately. I would actually like to read comics a lot more. I've heard of a lot of good ones that are out. But to be honest, I do the bulk of my reading now on ebook, on on my Kindle, um, right. in part because a lot of the times I'm able to read it's in the dark. And in part because a lot of the other times I'm able to read, I'm traveling and I need you know, a lot of books in a very light container. That makes uh, sense. And comics don't tend to translate very well to, to e-books. I, I think it's doable on something like an iPad, but I tend to read on a Kindle, which I like because I like not having the browser capability. <laughs> sure. I think they're trying to overcome that. I know the the comic companies are, are they both, like there are only two, but Marvel and DC both have options where you can even get those comics on computers and Kindles and things, but uh, it's not the same. It's, it's, it's not the same. I mean, books aren't the same either. And I love no. physical books. It's just, yeah, I mean, um, logistically right now, they're, they're, they're difficult. And I'm grateful to have the other option because I love to read and I don't know what I would do if I couldn't. So starting to veer back towards the original subject, we'll use the segue. Um, a lot of comics, a lot of adaptations of comics into movies over the last several years, but not just that, books, comic books, a lot of things that have been taken into the movie medium. What do you think about the current state of television and movies and taking these properties and turning them into something different for people to be able to consume in a different way? I mean, I think it's great. I think that, I really think that, you know, as much as many different ways as people can get access to content, the better in general. Um, I am not crazy about it when you have a book or a work and it gets made into a movie that kind of changes it really significantly. Um, you know, not just cuts here and there, but really changes the, the underlying meaning, but keeps the same name and sort of, you know, it becomes a different thing in the cultural context. I mean, like I, I've, <laughs> yeah, <for> one. <laughs> and I was thinking of even something like The Wizard of Oz, which we think yeah. of as this classic um, in both forms, right? Sure. But they're, they're actually really different. You know, I mean, yep. the book, the, the, the movie really pushes the fact that this was totally a hallucination and fever dream. And the book never suggests that. And, you know, the series then goes on to have all these other adventures in Oz, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and there's all these other things that it changes as well. And, you know, I think it's it's fine to have new stuff. Mm. I would just prefer it to be labeled. <laughs> yeah. like, um, so so I, I do have that, that feeling. Um, and I'm also, I've been honestly kind of disappointed with a lot of the comic book-based hero movies that have come out lately because I really feel like they... Um, they do that. They they tend to kind of simplify things down, and I, I feel like the CGI. You know, it's funny when you when you're reading something. I was reading a, a comic book. I was reading the Lumberjanes, mm. and they have these, which is a great series. Yeah. And they have these fight scenes, and it's got the bang and the pal, and it's all drawn. Um, but for me, that really works. You know, it's very kinetic. Um, there's really a sense for what's going on, 
And a lot of the CGI fight scenes, especially the ones that are just enormous and huge and aliens and they're unbeatable except superheroes. So they beat them. To me, it really just sort of dilutes the the feeling and and um, the strength of those scenes. So I'm not I'm not a big yeah. fan of CGI in general. Well, it's it's a giant spectacle, and one of the things I know mm-hmm. watching the most recent Avengers movie, I'm, which I enjoyed thoroughly, mm-hmm. but I mean there were several instances, especially in the final battle scene, where you just can't track what's going on. There's too much, and with that much overstimulation, it seems. That, mm-hmm. that takes away from the overall experience. You, you're not able to kind of put yourself there, at least I can't, in, in the same kind of a way. Um, but, I mean, it, it happens in a lot of different things. I mean, even back, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Stephen King, uh, mm-hmm. his, his adaptations uh, are often very hit or miss. And part mm-hmm. of it is because of the changes that are made that either are, have to be made. I mean, you could not do Stephen King's It on network television, right? <laughs> but they tried. Uh, <laughs> it did, did not go so well. Um, or or you have instances like The Shining where Kubrick completely changed so much. Still turned out fantastic, but it's not the book at all. Right. And, you know, it's fair. I mean, I think adaptations happen. It's just... Um, I don't know. It's it. It feels to me like they're these 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 cultural objects, and they sort of get shifted without most people noticing. Which which seems like you know, if if people think that they understand the Hunchback of Notre Dame after watching the Disney version, <laughs> you know, we have we have a real problem. Yeah, not um, quite the same thing. Now, if you like, just real quick, if you like the Lumberjanes, if you haven't read it, there's a there's a wonderful series called uh, Rat Queens that has a. Uh, that might have a, a similar uh, appeal to you. That, uh, oh, excellent. Just give that a, for it. Pretty fun. But so we talked about the comic movies here. If you had your your dream, uh, things go fantastically. The Orphan Black uh, cereal box, they love it. We want to keep having audio, but we also want to make it into a movie. Who is your, <laughs> who's your dream director? Who's your dream cast that you would have on that kind of film? Um, I mean, the cast would obviously be entirely Tatiana Maslany. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really thought about that that much. Part, partly because you know we did so much work to try to translate this into a different medium in the first place, and it, and it was visual to begin with, yeah. and it was a really excellently produced um, television series. And so I'm, I'm not even sure it needs to be a movie. Um, I mean that distinction has really faded a lot in the past couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, and the both the way people watch movies and the way people watch TV have shifted a lot. So, you know, I mean, it, it would be great, of course, if they make one. Um, I'm sure that would be wonderful for our sales. <laughs> and, and you know, it's always interesting to see what happens with adaptations. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I don't have a particular other than making sure that. You know, the clones are the clones. Yeah. That has to that has to stay true, but otherwise, yeah. Well, the, with the episodic nature of what you have, it, it works so much better. I've I've always mm-hmm. enjoyed the ability to see characters grow and to see the plot develop yeah. and uh, to see something carry over from from one episode to the next, and that just doesn't translate in the movie. A lot of times, it just turns into a, a train wreck where we're trying to come up with something really quick, and then you kill my favorite character in the first half an hour. <laughs> Not that I'm still sore or anything. Uh, 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 <clears throat> uh, Firefly. Okay. So, 
Um, so what do you, um, what do you think is going to be the, the next step for, I'm again, I'm trying to ask it in such a way that I'm not trying to, to trying to, uh, to, to peel information. I know, I know how I can ask this. What is the stage? Where are we set? You said we're years later, but how is the, the general feel of the world in a very vague way as we get into the series? Um, you know, we tried to, we tried to update, as I said, we're thinking about a lot of the things that are going on now in terms of, um, technology and surveillance, particularly, um, one of the things we did a lot on our writer's room slack is to sort of throw back and forth articles that we found about various um, technologies that are just coming up that we thought were interesting in terms of the show, you know, whether it was something like <clears throat> disguises or uh, new genetic approaches to anything really, um, or biomaterial or, you know, whatever it was that, that we thought would be, would be useful. So we tried to keep it, you know, with that kind of day after tomorrow feeling that the original has um, of things that are either, you know, happening now, but in very uh, isolated advanced cases um, or that feel like they're about to happen and, and really just, just have that, that sort of almost cyberpunk feel. Do you ever feel that there's the possibility, well, there's always a possibility, but do you feel that it's a, a possibility that will have a tangible effect on the age of the story as technology progresses, uh, you know, like when I watched the old original Star Trek, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, we've already got most of that stuff. It's not nearly that year. Do you do you feel that you run the risk at all of that with this particular series? Um, a little bit, I think. I mean, there's there's always a risk of that with science fiction. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite examples is a book by Lem, uh, in which the spaceship crash lands on a planet. And it, it crash lands, so it's like upside down and they have to get to the, the exit door. And the way that they do it is by piling up the enormous star map books that oh, they have carried with them. <laughs> right, right. And, and it's such a wonderful image of, of, you know, this kind of weird anachronism. Because And, and later in the same book, you know, it, there's all this stuff about... Uh, a sort of alien swarm hive mind thing, which is still a very current theme in yeah. terms of technology and in terms of, you know, thinking about the future. Um, so it's it just wonderful juxtaposition of something that, you know, he just did not see coming that change in the way that we, we maintain information. Um, so, you know, I think as a science fiction writer, you really just have to accept this possibility. I <laughs> um, I was very upset when they changed the name of the capital of, uh, now I can't actually remember if it was Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan because I used that name in one of my books. Uh, and I'm just hoping they'll change it back in the next six years before my books occur. That but, just know, means you, it's a collector item, right? You, you just accept it. Um, but I think it's, it's you know, I, I'd like to think that in this particular series, it's a little bit less so um, because it's that, you know, very close to right now feel. Um, so hopefully, you know, looking at it from the future, it will still look like more or less this time. Um, and yet it's got this, this alternate to it, right? Because this of the cloning technology. Right. And some of the other technologies that are a little bit out there. 
Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit alt, alt history feel, alt present feel, alt future feel. <laughs> well, it's all just a backdrop anyway about our, our personal interactions and getting that story about who we are and how we relate to others, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that, uh, that, that I think drew so many people to the original series and I'm sure will draw to yours. I I I have a feeling this is going to be really popular. It's just uh, when I heard about it, it 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 stuck in the back of my mind. It's like I I think this is going to be a lot of fun because I don't know about you, but as much as I love music and other things, I get bored on my drives to family or drives to work or while I'm doing something. I want something that will stimulate me. I think something like what you've got here will do that quite nicely. Well, I hope so. And and Surreal Box is really excellent for that because they do have such a wide range of genres and stories that are available in this really useful packaging. So before we wrap up, it, do you have anything that you want to make sure that uh, we cover or anything that you think that in my adult mind I might have overlooked that we can talk about? Um, I think we've gotten. I think we've gotten most of it. I mean, we're really just... Really excited for what we've done with the series. Um, you know, really trying to both be be respectful of the original and and move it forward in different ways. So yeah, we're we're excited to to see it start running. I'm I'm so excited to see how this is going to turn out. I will I will definitely uh, be one of the ones that will be listening. Um, I I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with me today, and to to give me a little peek and insight behind the curtain and see what's coming up. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, and maybe uh, here uh, upcoming, uh, say uh, down the road. Once, once the everybody's jaws on the floor from the end of the season, <laughs> we can touch base again and talk about. Hey, that one thing that was cool, and I'll just turn into that that SNL bit where I'll I'll just say, "You remember the one part? I like that." <laughs> Sounds good. All right, fantastic. Thank you again. Thank you so much. All right, don't forget, Pudding People, to check us out on Twitter at Real Pudding Guys or on Instagram and Facebook at Pudding Guys or take a look at our Patreon page and we will have more new interesting content coming up on there very shortly. But until then, you can donate just a single dollar per month to help us out and help us create new content for you to listen to. Now, without further ado, here is Orphan Black. You're not Kasima Niehaus. You're one of them, aren't you? Oh my God. Oh my God. You have to understand. I didn't know. I didn't realize. He was backing away from her now, trying to get behind the desk. Vivi tried to suck in breath. What was he talking about? One of them. Sturgis babbled on. You really look just like her. I suppose that makes sense. He giggled in a truly terrifying way and Vivi closed the distance until she was in reach of him. Incredible, just incredible. Sturgis raised a hand as if to touch her hair, and Vivi kicked him. She struck him hard, just above the knee, and he doubled over in pain, which gave her a chance to put him in a submission hold. Whatever was going on here, she had to know. What are you talking about? What makes sense? Who is Niehaus? 